The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. problem every year around MLK Day because Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for some reason has been treated as America's civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. Good evening and welcome to another live edition of On Another Level, where we want to bring your consciousness and your level of information to build the nation to another level. So we're live right now. It'll be replayed later. But tonight, I might have phone calls. I'm not sure. But my guest is so, so dynamic. I actually learned about him from social media. He's Marlon Solomon, the founder and senior project manager of Afro-American Academy. He's going to talk about a summer camp around STEM and all this interesting information. So if you've got young people from the age of 15 to 18 and there's opportunities for scholarships and just keeping people busy around stuff that will build them up and teach them in a way that will help them to thrive, not just survive. We're here this evening on another level. Stay right with us. Over school choice and public education is likely to intensify under the Trump administration. His choice for education secretary, Betsy DeVos, is a big supporter of vouchers and charter schools, both of which use tax dollars that would normally go to neighborhood public schools. The fight over these issues is already building within the African-American community. The NAACP is calling for a moratorium on new charter schools, but some black parents are pushing back against that. Special correspondent Lisa Stark of our partner Education Week reports from Memphis, part of our weekly series, Making the Grade. At Freedom Preparatory Academy in Memphis, there's a constant beat echoing through the hallways. And it's not just from the African drum class required of every middle schooler here. What's being drummed into these charter school students is that education. Go ahead and track number two. A college degree. This is done to be independently and silently. And proper behavior are critical to getting ahead. If I had to ask you to describe Freedom Prep in one word, what would it be? College. Preparation. Life. Senior Tyler Vaughn, 8th grader Brianna Todd, and 5th grader Tally Ordonez all came to Freedom Prep after stints in traditional public schools. Since this grade, they always instilled in us that we would be going to college and we would excel in college. It definitely teaches us to be responsible throughout our entire life. Charter school, um, it prepares you for college and life. Nearly 3 million students in the U.S. attend charter schools in 42 states and the District of Columbia, about 6% of all public school students nationwide. But in more than a dozen cities, at least 30% of the students attend charters. 
As in many cities, African-American parents in Memphis are voting with their feet. This was a struggling elementary school three years ago when the state asked Freedom Prep to take it over. The charter school came in, enrollment doubled. Read out the sentence starter and fill it in with care. Charter schools often open in poor neighborhoods and predominantly serve children of color. And they have a mixed record. Some are excellent, others fall far short. Some states have strict standards for charters, others do not. The issue for us is just simply making sure that everyone operates by the same rules. The NAACP is calling for a moratorium on new charter schools, concerned about a host of issues, including charters that seem to cherry-pick students or have high suspension rates for children of color. The group wants reforms. Make sure kids aren't being suspended or expelled uh, unfairly. Make sure you have standards of accountability and transparency. And let's make sure that we don't um, cream the best students to the disservice of all the students. NAACP President Cornell William Brooks insists the organization is not anti-charter, but he stresses accountability for these schools, which receive public education dollars, but are often run by private organizations and boards. If we think that setting up a system without standards like an educational wild, wild west, is going to save public education. By public education, I mean education for all children. Uh, we're sadly mistaken. Do you think there is a schism, a break in the black community over this? I know it is. Sarah Carpenter believes in charter schools and worries that the NAACP is out of touch. Most of these people live in suburban areas. They look like me, but they don't, they're not connected to me. Carpenter lives in North Memphis, an area of high poverty with both traditional and charter schools. She sent her oldest granddaughter to a charter more than a decade ago, inspired by the school's focus on college. It changed my life because they made our kids believe that they could do this, you know. And growing up in this neighborhood, my mom didn't talk about college. Carpenter's granddaughter did go on to college. And Carpenter now runs Memphis Lift, an education advocacy group for parents funded partly by groups that support charters. It's not fair to us. Y'all look like us. She led a noisy protest at the NAACP board meeting in Cincinnati this fall as the board ratified the charter moratorium resolution. We were screaming to the top of our voice, uh, you're not speaking for us. I don't think they have the full understanding and exposure of what a proper, adequate education is for their children. Keith Williams is the executive director of Tennessee's largest local teachers union, and he believes parents are often hoodwinked by charters. But it sounds to me like you're saying parents shouldn't have a choice, should, aren't smart enough to know where their kids should go to school. I am saying that some parents are not capable of determining venues that will be the most advantageous for their children, and that is a fact. Jim Crow South, historical context. Teachers unions have long Why opposed charters, which in most cases can hire and fire teachers at will. And Williams believes charters have harmed public education as a whole. If we did not have the competitive economic interests of these self-serving entrepreneurs and charters, public schools would be in a better condition, they would be more academically sound, certainly more financially sound. 
But for parents such as Kimberly McNeil, there is no debate. She even moved just so she could easily get her daughters, Cassidy and Kai, to a nearby charter school, Vision Prep. Good morning, Cassidy. Me coming from a Memphis City School, I wanted something different, something more uh, challenging for my children. It's important for you to have a choice. It is. It's important for anybody to have a choice, whether it's public, private, or charter. Everybody should have a choice in where they feel like their children would do better and succeed. Let's give her three snaps for sharing. At Vision Prep, which is nice. well regarded, you'll find the hallmark of many charters. Students are called scholars, and college is emphasized from penance to classroom cheers. And like many charters, this is a no excuses school, stressing high standards in academics and behavior. Good morning, Kentrell. Look at me. Practices that don't always Good sit morning. well with charter opponents, morning, but appeal to many parents. I think it's good because it's morning, teaching Victoria. children focus. It's What'd teaching them to be on one accord Great. at school. They're trying to be uniform. They're trying to be more organized and put together, which is a good thing because it not only teaches them here, it teaches them how to be like that at home. Back to your book, Where We Left Off. The battle over charters is only likely to heat up. President-elect Trump is a big supporter of school choice. But many argue this is the wrong debate, that what's critical is finding schools that work, no matter how they're set up. I feel so sad because we shouldn't have to fight for our kids to get a quality education. Why we have to keep fighting? as a race of people, black people. And what's wrong with us wanting what's best for our kids? Just because we black and poor do not mean that we don't want what's best for our kids. So when African-American parents and students find what they hope is the best school, it's no wonder they're celebrating. In Memphis, I'm Lisa Stark of Education Week for the PBS NewsHour. Thank you so much, Lisa Stark. She reported for PBS NewsHour. And thank you for that. Since it's an educational program and access television, we actually got the permission to run that. So thank you, PBS NewsHour. Um, with the election of Donald Trump, who is a big proponent of school choice, and his like-minded pick for Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, who knew nothing about education, she had this ridiculous statement about guns in schools, and her ideas were like, what, we need guns for the bears. Chick was off the hook, but a multimillionaire. Um, so the topic of charter schools will always attract attention because the bottom line is that as a parent, you want quality education for your kids. And you really don't care where it's coming from, but this piece is saying that you really should because what you think is quality education, just because it's easier to get in there, just because you may not hear about guns, you have to understand that Black Teachers Matter, which is the organization, the 501c3 that I run, Black teachers make a difference. And having someone not just Skin folk, we need kin folk mm. that actually have our people's interests in mind. And Malcolm X even said that only a fool will let his enemy educate his children. We are letting people that don't know us, don't know our culture, don't know our people, and are afraid of our children actually coming in here with some of this white supremacy um, mindset and the education that actually teaches them to be a better educated slave. But that's not who my guest is tonight. We've got Marlon Solomon, who is the founder and senior project manager, although he's a lot of other things, too, um, of African American Academy. It's a 501c3 exempt nonprofit based in Boston, Massachusetts. 
building, building cultural bridges in the African diaspora through education, technology, and travel. Afro-American Academy is a hybrid education organization serving multicultural underserved student residents of Boston by nurturing the culture to thrive. And so if you're interested in a career in restorative project management, you're a problem solver looking to apply skills to better the community, if you're looking to create social media content and stimulated career opportunities, this program may be for you. We're gonna talk about the summer camp and the, and the registration date opens up Saturday, May 7th. We'll give you information about that towards the second half of the show. But right now, it's my honor and pleasure to introduce to you, Monsieur. <laughs> Marlon, Marlon Solomon, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you for Thank having you me. Thank you for coming to me. You, you know, you and I, this is the first time we're actually meeting, meeting. Right. But we had like a three-hour meeting. Right. Because you and I were just... It was going back and forth. We're going back and right. forth. And so you and I really believe strongly in education, but education that empowers right. our people and our young people. And it has a certain lens right. in terms of people of the diaspora, the African diaspora. Right. So tell me about your, because, so you have a couple, you're an engineer, right. and you have a couple of different um, organizations. So you have a parent organization, mm -hmm. and Afro-American Academy comes from that. So tell me about the parent, right. and tell me about the children. <laughs> all right, tell me about the parent and children, okay. Um, well, like I said, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm so um, happy to be here today. And like I said, our conversation really started something I think it would be special. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Um, the African-American um, African Culture Initiative is the parent company. Um, it's a project manage, restorative project management firm um, that I started. And what I do is I build systems, um, curric de um, develop curriculum, um, and we use um, African diaspora culture as our North Star. So what that means is that when I, um, like the first thing we do in, because um, I'm half Nigerian, and my, uh, my mother is from the Commonwealth of Virginia, very proud of, of, her, um, of her heritage, African-American heritage there. And, you know, one thing we do in Africa, we don't, you know, we're all black, so it's, you know, it's kind of difficult to use race as your, as your social construct. So we... Well, we didn't construct it, but right. yes. <laughs> right. No, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. In fact, you know, America was the only place in the world that actually had this kind of particular sort of um, racial construct. But anyway, um, yeah, so in, you know, in Nigeria, you know, you look left, you see a Yoruba man, you see a Hausa man, or you see an Igbo man. So we look at things from a cultural lens, not from a racial lens, and I apply that here. So um, when, we design pro, um, when, when we design and we work on programs, we try to look for the cultural artifacts in all our, um, in on our different cultures, we all get married. We all have ways of celebrating our lives and our deaths and our happiness and our sadness as human beings. And this isn't even just an African thing. Whether you're an Indian or Chinese or indigenous uh, Native American, um, we all share a lot of these same um, communal, um, you know, communal values. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it takes a village to raise a child, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So that's how we design. Um, and that's, so that's the, that's the um, so for instance, we put a program into Boston Prep Charter School called the Cultural Nutrition Program, mm -hmm. where um, according to I think the, we have a picture of that, I'm not sure. Mm. So if we have one, if we can bring it up. Right. Go ahead, keep talking. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, the, the, that, that Cultural Nutrition Program basically allows the students in that school to eat um, 
cultural cuisine in their cafeteria because American food is no longer apple pie. It is peak leaves. It wasn't it is, really apple pie for us. It was sweet potato. Right. Oh, right. Mean, <laughs> the sweet potato can be, you know, greens. It can be all that, you know. But 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 let us see that. You know, when you say diversity, let us see that <laughs> in our in real life on the food. So that's the. Oh, wait, wait. You know, because you could talk a mile a minute, right. and I can actually keep up to you. But I want to <laughs> I want to bring you back to something. Right. Um, restorative. Tell me about this restorative project management. What okay. is that? Okay. Um, so I'm a project manager. I have 15 years of You're an engineer. Yes, I'm an engineer, um, civil engineer. I have 15 years of construction experience in Lagos, Nigeria. And then, um, so I use that project management and I teach it in schools. But the restorative part is something quite new. Um, it is a philosophy. It's actually called restorative thinking. And it has to do with community building, repairing harm, and promoting inclusivity. Okay, stop right there. I'm going to get you now. Okay, no problem. So I'm ready. restoring what? Because if you, are you restoring what people lost through being um, part of the diaspora that actually brutalized centuries and generations of African people? Because we all started in Africa. Right, everybody, right, right, white, right, black, right, 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 right. Everybody started there. That's the oldest person. Mm -hmm. However, um, there's different ways that people have been dispersed, right? Right. And so... When you're talking about the African diaspora, mm -hmm. that includes Africa, the Caribbean. I mean, basically, we're, we're everywhere. Latin America, America, Hispanic, South America, yes. right? So when you're talking about restorative management, mm -hmm. what are you restoring? Okay, restorative, like, okay, restorative management, like I said, is a philosophy that is taught in the Boston Public School System now about, and it has to do with community building, repairing harm, and promoting inclusivity. Now, what I like to say is that what is, really what is restoring is humanity, okay. <laughs> you know, um, you know in, to be very broad. But, the, but when you talk about building community, you're talking about being popular, right, or bringing people around, strengthening our community. You're talking about repairing harm. That's, that has to do, that is actually probably the most um, difficult part about restorative um, project management because a lot of the things that we're repairing, we might not even recognize that they're broken. Okay, so the restorative justice movement right. in education is about understanding how indigenous people have a circular way of including everybody. And so say if somebody, um, somebody steals from someone. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's this piece where they have to give it back. But there's also a not shunning them, which is what our criminal justice right. system does and isolates them no from the shame, community. No and you're actually, and, and so there's a, a particular practice where, yes, you know the person did harm, but instead of shaming them, you're actually telling them all the good things about them and how they're valued to the community. Right. And you're restoring During this relationship. relationship. Humanity. Okay. Right, exactly. But I how just got to break it down for no, some people. I, I, I agree. I, I, need that, I need that translation because I'll speak and engineers speak and then it, and, and it, and might, it might not sound right. But that's exactly what we do. But how do you do that systemically? Right. Because you see, one of the issues that, people, that white supremacy normally has is that it wants, to, it wants to sell you on this individual success. That is a farce that has never happened in the history of humanity. It is always communal success. As a community, we ride. Well, that's the way we used to. But then coming into this Right. This society where right. everybody wants to be, you know, individual. Right. I'm not wearing my mask. I don't care if you get sick and die. Right. It, but it's more if you look at other cultures and other um, peoples, it's like about we lose when we lose you. Right. So we, we always we, need we, to we bring you close. So how do you do that when how do you do that in an engineering sense? Are you incorporating certain indigenous things in the architecture, in the in the ways even things are built? Right. In the thinking? Right. Um, 
it's, it's, it's actually funny enough, like I, I, it was being here and seeing the lack of it mm -hmm. and having the contrast with my um, Lagos upbringing. You know, people don't know Lagos. If you don't know Lagos, Lagos is like the New York City of West Africa, probably, and we are the richest, probably the most powerful black country to ever be in existence. So the I don't issue, know about that. We can talk about Kemet well, and further well, back. No problem. We're no talking problem. about right now. We're talking about, right talk about <laughs> within the last 150 years, y'all. Okay, okay. <laughs> Right now. Yeah, yeah, okay. Anyway, you know, but um, but you know, um, when we have when we we have a communal ways of building in Africa, like because we build for ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And we always build around um, what we call um, um, communal economics or you know um, group economics. So it's not just about exploiting the society; it's about benefiting everybody. It's about benefiting everybody. Okay. So the government would build; um, they build these big markets. There's a big market called Tejosho Market, one of the biggest ones in Lagos, and it's built by the government, supported by the government, and probably some of the people that can never ever probably think of affording. They don't have education; they don't have a lot of things, but they have little things to sell, and they go, they're not they're not stealing. Mm -hmm. So we don't want because another thing in Africa, you know, we always believe that hunger is the cause of all problems. So we want everybody to eat. But hunger is an outgrowth of poverty. Right. And the poverty in Africa is from colonialism, not because of lack of resources, because all of the resources are found in Africa. Right. I'm right. just saying, brother. You know, I'm from no, here. No, no, but no. I, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. But that, we can go into a whole. That would take us into a whole. Oh, I know. Another me realm. And you. and you know me and you. We yeah. only have a few minutes to go. So we have to be careful. <laughs> I know. So I want to show some of the other pictures right. of some of the gatherings with your students, too, because it's one thing. I mean, pictures, actually, those pictures. And, and, and so you have a website mm -hmm. and we'll give information about that. But I looked at uh, the videos and the pictures of um, some of these kids in the classrooms. If you guys can show them. Um, some of these pictures of the gatherings that you have with your students. Right. And so we look at, there we go. Right. And so that's the circle. Right. Nobody's left, circle. nobody's left out. What is nope. happening in this picture here? Okay, what's happening in this picture? This is my good friend, Gloria. Um, she's the owner of a, res a restaurant in Rosendale, Nigerian restaurant mm -hmm. called Obosa. And we are taking some of those kids are um, African-American that have never experienced, and they ate their first fufu and pounded yam oh, that see? day. But fufu is different depending on the country. But that's another discussion. Yeah, that's a, you see, you want, to, you want to try me again. I mean, it's just like jollof rice, right? Everybody claims that they got the best jollof we, rice. But we do have the best jollof rice. Uh, okay, I'm I guess some people tell you. from Senegal would complain. Yeah, of course. But, and, but, but, and, and, and Ghana, too. But. That's, that's fine. <laughs> now, what is this picture right here? Um, okay, so this one we are at the DAP in Dorchester, and this is a um, this is an organization. I'm not sure if they're completely operational right now, but there are a lot of um, these. They support. They provide a space to provide um, to provide space for community art, um, artists, kind of oh, okay. like the corporate cooperative economics that I was just talking okay. about in the big market. They kind of do that, and they try to find give a space for young artists to work. So we went there, and we we're having a discussion on just um, artwork and them being community service orientated. You know, what we are trying to do is, um, you know, let these students know that it's not over. Like the fight is still on and we need people to sign up for service. You know, it's not just, um, you know, we're going to give you all the enrichments and give you, yes, you're right. We're going to give that, but there's something that you, we want to see in you. What, li what lives in you that wants, that, that really wants to thrive. Okay. And once we find that, the gifting in you that God put in there. Right. You know that. I, you know, I do. But, you know, we talking. Right, so, right, right. Can we get another photograph? I, I'm trying to think. Okay, what is this right here? Okay, we went to the, um, well, this was a two-part um, two um, meeting. We went to the, uh, the National 
center of African-American artists here That's in Roswell. That's the Big Head Museum. Yeah, the Big Head, yeah, the Big Head Museum. And then right next door, they have this, uh, this is City Sprouts. And our kids would, you know, like I said, it's about community service. We need people, we need hands, not just talk. So they are here, you know, and they get some greens. You see that, had, you know, part of our cultural nutrition mm -hmm. is part of our cultural nutrition program. And that's um, our beautiful Gloria Fernandez behind uh, there. And um, she is, you know, she's the one that leads us through this cultural nutrition. So we went, we were to help out the, clean out the garden, you know. Oh, okay. okay. Right. And, 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 you know, pick some stuff. And we took some stuff home. Okay. And I think we have another, I don't know. Here we go. Oh, wow. And um, by the way, I want one of those T-shirts, but that's another discussion. Yeah, no, no problem, no problem, no problem. No, a black these, one. Yeah, okay, the black one. These are my first three ever students. So that's, in the middle, that's Uche, that's 001, and then that's Kiara, that's 002, and then that's Kyle, that's 003. So those are my three first students. This was during the pandemic. And what's beautiful about that picture is that we're all three feet apart, but we're standing, like, in the same uh. line. So if you look at it, you'll now see that, yes, Uche, yes, Uche is actually about as tall as um, um, Kiara there. And then Kyle, of course, is tall, but you, he's not that much taller than that. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. But he's closer, so he looks taller. Yes, exactly. Now, where is that? Is that Franklin Park? That's a, no, that's, a, that's a Turner Park Pond. Um, it's in, just in Milton, just across there oh, below okay. Mattapan. Okay. Just below. Because that looks like a part of Franklin Park. Right, right. No, no, no. And no. so what were you doing at this particular... We, well, we, this was my first time I actually met them in person. This was actually oh, okay. 2020. The pandemic had... We, were, we just probably got out of lockdown. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, so I just wanted to meet my students in person, you know. Okay. <laughs> so now, this... Um, and we're about to take a break in a minute. Yeah. This... Um, what was it in your spirit, in your heart? Because you could have just successfully just been an engineer. Right. Engineers make a lot of good money. Yeah, that is true. I mean, especially civil engineer. Mm. With all the infrastructure is crumbling right. in the United States, they need civil engineers, right. right? But so what was it about not only deciding to do this, but doing it with African-Americans and, and Africans together? Because I know the magic of that being a teacher. Mm -hmm. And my students are from all over Africa. And right. so I, you and I talked about the difference in terms of um, coming from a country where you have pride in your country. Right. And, and one of my engineering students, King Henry, um, he told me, he said, if I stay here, I'll just be an engineer just like everybody else. But I need to go back to my country because they really need me right. and what I'm doing there. And so there was a sense of the way he carried himself. It wasn't haughty. He just had his head up because he knew who he was. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that amongst students, black students who weren't from here, more so. I mean, I'm just saying in groups, not no, individually. No, no. And so Henry and I were talking. I said, you know, what, what is it that you guys are not looking down at the ground? You're not holding your heads down. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're looking down on people, mm -hmm. but it's just that you have a certain carriage with your yeah. shoulders back and the way you're walking that is impressive. And I like it. And he and I actually worked on... Um, we called them coast-to-coast -coast conversations between the students at Northeastern's campus or from all over the world, students of color. And the first meeting we had was a million ways to say hello. Mm. And we actually talked about, in a lot of cultures, you literally bow and you right. give deference to elders. Right. And so there's a different way of even acknowledging and giving people dignity and right. respect that I think we've lost, that's been beat out of us through white supremacy and slavery. But once we started having that exchange I could see the other students, you know, had this pride in, but there was a deficit model for African-Americans because it's like, okay, what 
flag do we uphold? Right. Because we're coming from all over the place. Right. And this Ameri this red, white, and blue thing has been beating us. Right. We've even be been stabbed, you know, Ted mm -hmm. Landsmark with busing. There's a famous black and white photograph where they're taking an American flag and trying to stab him with it. So we have a, we have a complicated history right. with trying to affiliate with a right. country that's never really embraced us right. as citizens or first-class right. citizens. Right. And yet, bringing those cultures together, you could see the richness of that. And anyone that I know who is African-American, who's gone to Africa, everybody came back changed. Right. Everybody Every came back person, different. Yes. Every single person. Yes. So why did you decide that it was important, because it's Afro-American Academy, why did you decide to put it together like that? What's missing? This restorative part, what needed to be restored? Mm. Well, I just, um, as simple as that, it just, it's just our cultural artifacts need to be restored. Simple as that. We have a right. We have a, we have a we have, you know, like I said, my mom is, my mom is African-American. My dad is Nigerian. I have cousins and family from both sides. Um, growing up, I just know that the, there's so much happiness and joy in this culture. And to see people that have been robbed of that culture, you don't get to express those things. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Or there are extra hurdles. As a, as a Nigerian, somebody that grew up in Africa, I don't have to worry about my, I don't have to worry about my, um, I don't have to worry about my diet. Why would I have to worry about that? My food has been naturally selected over thousands of years by my ancestors. Mm. So I just eat. There's fresh fish, there's vegetables, there's melon seed, there's everything that I need. I don't need to think about it anymore. That is a, that, that is a cultural right that all African-Americans have but cannot express. Well, because the diet was slave-driven, right. plantation-driven, profit-driven. Right. And so we got the worst part of the right. pig, the worst part of right. the worst greens, and we still made it tasty. Right. <laughs> but it was still it soul killing food. us, though. The resistance to calling soul food. That's right. But, and also, we talked, you and I talked about how African women actually sowed seeds, corn-rolled seeds in their head so that when they got to wherever they were going, they still had right. Substance. seeds, and they still had food that right. they knew that would would uh, uh, keep them healthy. Right. So we've always been survivors, and we've always been connected, but we, we've lost it. We've lo we've lo oh, we, you know, we're surviving, but we've lost the thriving mm. part because you cannot thrive individually. That's what Some people think they can. You cannot. They'll put Oprah and Tyler Perry as if everybody's go on, go on, getting go on, over. Go, go, on, go on, bring Oprah here. Go and bring Tyler Perry here. And I bet everything I own, they will tell you that a lot of people help them to get where they got. Oh, they said that. This interview, <laughs> this interview. No, but I'm saying the, yeah. system, the system will use those people as examples that everybody can do. It, tokenism. Which is not yeah, yes, tokenism. yes, 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 yes. No, it cannot. It, it, it can't work like that. So, but you see, but there's a certain, um, and, and we're going to take a break in a minute, mm -hmm. but there's a certain individual that will want to do this for other people and not just do them for themselves. So I go back to the fact mm. that you very could have been a very successful engineer and not dealt with, you know, this brokenness of these people. It's my people. Okay. I don't know. There's nothing. It's just my people. My mom's people, my people. And I've, I, know I, have the, I know I have the power to make a change. So, mm. what, so, I, so I, it, it is, you know, it's against my beliefs to keep that to myself. So I did that, and let Woo. me. And a lot of people are doing. I mean, a lot of people are responding, and um, you know, I, once I see some good outcomes, and I then I get encouraged, and I go harder. So, go harder, but you mostly deal with young people. Yes, 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 yes. Because well, not too young. I like um, at least 16, 17, 18. Let them be you focusing. You got 15 on to 18 for the summer camp. Yes, right? I found that the either 15 years old. 
they can, I let them come in, but they have to be, I mean, they're going to be keeping up with college kids because mm -hmm. we're not going to slow down. So there are kids that can do it. And I, that's why I don't want to exclude, but it's not, it's like, you know, you have to be probably like your top of your class. You got to be serious. Yeah. I mean, it's not, and therefore you see, it's not a, it's not a capacity thing. It's the ability to focus, the ability to do a lot of things that, you know, a 15 year old and a 18 year old. You know, that's the world's apart. Right, right. I've taught middle school and I've taught high school. Right. So those that's are different all. individuals right there. Yeah, but there's some that coming out at 13, 14 that are not playing. So that's true. I have to leave the door open. But, you know, like I said, it's science based, engineering based, technology based. Um, but also this art. So it's actually steam. steam. Not just yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, art is very important to me. I used I play a little guitar. I, not not that I'm good at anything, but I <laughs> used it as a tool to be creative. And when you're an engineer and you're going to see engineers, when we start working, there's nothing there. We have to think of it, conceptualize it, design it and turn it into reality. You know, that's and that, make it practical. Yes. And, and make it practical and make it uh, cost effective and, you know, X, Y, you know, yada, yada, yada. So you need to be creative. You cannot simply just, you know, you know, be going with the rule book if you're going to be thinking outside of the box. And for what I'm doing, work, dealing, studying, redlining, you, it's not really outside the box, funny enough, mm -hmm. but because of the perception has been shielded by generations of, of false ideology or lost history, um, or you know, stolen. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I, yeah, stolen history or purposely removed history. Right. Because the people who are removing CRT and all these things and talking about it now, removing black history facts from 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 the history book, they've been around for a long time. If, oh, you, if you look at the cultures, well, yeah, and they've and the, done it before. In the 13 states that actually have filed legislation, mm. excuse me, against critical race theory, mm. it's basically history. History including <laughs> everybody else. So um, yeah. if you just tuned in, we're here live <laughs> and um, right. I could talk to Marlon like forever. Ever, right. Marlon Solomon is the founder and senior project manager to Afro-American Academy. He's got a groundbreaking, but you know what? Not really, but he's coming with something. And he and I talked off camera way before here, you know, Du Bois and Booker T. Washington, a lot of thinkers that we've had but we forgot about or are not being taught in our schools. So our kids don't even understand that someone like you actually um, has already been there, done that. We can talk about historically black colleges and universities that actually, um, and when we legally couldn't go to school with uh, <clears throat> certain people, white folks, um, we actually graduated more doctors, lawyers, engineers, scientists, and inventors when it was just us, for us, by us, um, so don't get it twisted. I am I'm, I'm of the mindset of that mother that said we want quality education no matter where it's coming from. However, there is a special kind of sauce when you have a culturally competent black teacher that benefits everyone, no matter what the student is, no matter what the atmosphere is. Um, if you just tuned in, we're on another level trying to bring you to another level and right. how you're thinking about education, whether you are a parent or not, you're a student of something. There's a little piece that I want to tell you about that you're about to see in school integration, and it mentions Boston. The landmark case, Brown versus Board of Education, declared that racial segregation in public schools was unconstitutional. However, for most black and white families, the decision was met with resistance, and a court mandate didn't mean things were going to change. Just like the mandate of Emancipation Proclamation saying people were free, where there's some places that didn't tell people they were free. Mm. And so that's what Juneteenth is about. Right. And then 
free to do what when you don't give 40 acres of a mule? You don't give people what they need to be able to survive. And they went back to the same plantations. And that's another whole thing, the 13th Shack Amendment. And that's another whole, you know, the only thing they outlawed slavery, but not if you were incarcerated. And so we're dealing with the United States of America that has more incarcerated two and a half million people than any other industrialized country in this world. And but slavery is defunct. I don't think so. So the same people that wouldn't give a black person a job because they were afraid of competition now has a prison industrial complex that can arrest you and make you work for that same place for nothing. But so the politicians, the officials throughout the country found ways to ensure full on school integration never happened. From protests to throwing bricks to blocking entrances at schools, the new law of the land was met with sharp resistance. We're talking about 1954. Brown versus Board of Education. Even as the NAACP intervened and busing orders were implemented, integrating schools seemed more like a wish than a sure thing. And in this episode that you're about to see of Black History in Two Minutes, uh, hosted by Henry Louis Gates Jr., there's additional commentary from Hassan Jeffries of Ohio State University, and we'll take a look at this monumental case. And while it sought to provide access and equality for black students across the country, decades later, it still comes up short. And for those of you who are in Boston, you know it is a circus up in here mm. with the superintendent leaving, major leadership leaving, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education poised to put all of Boston Public Schools in receivership. Um, elected versus appointed was in the November election. 99,000 Boston registered voters voted to return to elected versus appointed and not really understanding what that looks like. See, this is what we bring to you, that other uh, news stations and news medias may not necessarily have this focus. Why? Because we are who we are. On another level, bringing you there, and we're going to come back with Marlon Solomon, the founder and senior project manager of Afro-American Academy. In 1954, the United States Supreme Court, in the landmark case Brown versus the Board of Education, held that racial segregation in public schools was unconstitutional. Where desegregation was accepted and implemented, the strategy was successful. But in many parts of the country, it would take much more than a court order to change public opinion rooted in centuries of anti-black racism. Politicians in county and state governments across the South found ways to go around the laws. Sometimes they slashed state funding for public schools that integrated. Sometimes they supported private academies attended predominantly by white students. The main thrust behind African-American interest in desegregating was a desire for access to quality education. They understood that dollars followed white children into white schools. Nearly 20 years after the Brown decision, many schools remained segregated, even in the North. And nowhere was this more evident than in Boston, Massachusetts. In response, the NAACP presented a class action suit demanding that schools and educational officials should act. In 1974, a federal judge in Massachusetts ruled that students in Boston would be bused from one neighborhood to another neighborhood to balance school systems racially. Working class whites, one of the things that they have been able to benefit from is being able to send their children to all white schools and the resources and the privilege that comes along with that. And now they're being asked to give that up. In South Boston, as many as 18,000 students were forced to attend new schools. Angry protesters carried signs, hurled bricks at buses, and blocked school entrances. 
Opposition to integration continued well after the initial violence subsided. Many middle-class white families moved to the suburbs, abandoning the city's public school system. 60 years after Brown v. Board of Education, American classrooms remain shockingly segregated, a direct result of families continuing to move to the suburbs, taking public funding based on property taxes along with them. The goals of Brown v. Board remain unfulfilled, even though its spirit lives on. A lot of people are finding information from social media rather than regular broadcast news. Both of those, I caution you in terms of where your sources are from. You have to research everything, including the source of where this information comes from. Um, my guest and I were talking about some of this information that was just shared in this two minutes, and we're like, ah. Um, the difference is I was actually here in Boston um, when a lot of this stuff was going on, and I was, I was working in the Boston School Department and in various capacities. And so I don't have to look at Eyes on the Prize. Mm. I don't have to look at, you know, Channel 2 or PBS. I was there. Right. I mean, when um, black people from Columbia Point were down there fighting to desegregate Carson Beach, I was there. Mm. When the cops were down there and they sided with the people from South, South Boston were throwing bricks and had hockey sticks. And um, some people were deluded to think that we were coming down there with a picnic. And they literally had picnic baskets. And there were a lot of brothers and sisters. We had our jeans and Vaseline and our sneakers and was like, no, this ain't gonna be no picnic up in here. And we were right. Um, when the cops started driving motorcycles and trying to run us down and using the horses to trample us and everything, we knew what we were going into. And um, unfortunately, in 2022, the schools are just as segregated. There's now um, 7,000 less students uh, last year, there were 57,000 before the, well, yeah, the beginning of last year, there was 57,000 students. There are now less than 50,000 students. Mm. Where did they go? Um, so there's all these discussions that you guys can be, avail yourselves of, either by pu public testimony, in the city council hearings about education. The budget is going on now. There's over a tr trillion, uh, over a billion, I'm sorry, over a billion dollars is being discussed in the school budget, budget, which is 42% of the city budget. Um, if you're a homeowner, some of your taxes are going um, for that. So there's city council meetings. There are public listening sessions. So you as a parent or a student or just a community member can say how you feel. The superintendent, Caselius, Brenda Caselius, is leaving before her three years is up. She signed a contract last November to be extended for two years as the superintendent of Boston Public Schools, and she's leaving before her contract actually is up. And Mayor Michelle Wu um, has, has vowed that June there will be a permanent new superintendent. So those hearings are going on right now. Those conversations are going on with a search committee and a search group, a search firm, that's gonna decide within you know, about a month's time who is gonna be leading these Boston Public Schools. And just so that you know, that we have had, we in Boston have had a revolving door of superintendents every two or three years within the last eight years, which is ridiculous. Within the last 10 years, it's ridiculous. And DESE, which is the state, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, Department of Elementary Secondary Education, signed an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding, Commissioner Riley, with the superintendent, Brenda Casillas of Boston Public Schools, three days before the schools were shut down in March of 2020 that basically 
said, if Boston Public Schools doesn't get these five areas together, and there were significant English language learners, students with disabilities, there were significant areas that needed to be turned around in order for DESE not to take over BPS. Guess what? They, even before that three-year time period, um, before that is over, there's already been two reviews by DESE of Boston Public Schools, only 45 of the 125. And within weeks, they're going to come down into Sadei, DESE, is going to make a decision of whether or not they're taking over Boston Public Schools. So that will override the school committee, which is appointed, the only appointed school committee in all of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. That will override the citizens who have voted for elected versus appointed. That will override the superintendent, and that will override the mayor. So if you are a parent, if you're a Boston resident, and, and, and so my, my, my guest and I, we have to make this a part two talked about how redlining and how property taxes, so we talk about Brown versus Board of Education and the mandate in 1974 by Judge Garrity, but that was initiated because the property taxes that were paying for education, black people were paying for the property taxes and it wasn't manifesting itself in a quality education. So this is deeper than just public schools, exam schools, and all that other good right. stuff. Marlon. Yes. Marlon Solomon. Yes, ma'am. My brother, my brother. My we've got like not even 10 minutes okay. to talk about this summer camp. Right. And the registration is Saturday. Right. And so you're offering custom African diaspora related curriculum. Right. Restorative circles, math courses, social emotional learning courses, right. project based learning, mentor and sponsor, right. drop ins, enrichments, field trips, full sponsorship and partial stipends for students, summer jobs and social media content creation, math, problem solving, mm -hmm. thriving, empowering education and enriching summer, enriching summer program for students, residents that are ages 15 to 18. And if we can get the flyer, we can give some information in terms of how people can, mm -hmm. I don't think that is that, well, okay, that's a scanning code. Will that work if somebody scans out on television? It, it, it should, it should. I, I hope it works. I, I've, I've tried it, it works. Um, yeah, so basically this Sunday we're having, I mean this Saturday, May 7th, we're having our first community in, um, informational. And so we're going to be on there for about an hour and a half and I'm going to run. Zoom? So yes, all virtual. And we're going to be, um, um, you know, so you can go to Eventbrite and you'll be able to get all the information you need there. You can register? Yes, you can register, you can do everything there. And you just register, yes, AfroAmericanOne.com, yes, that is, you can go to that website right there and you'll see uh, where you can register. You can actually do the application there. So, um, and the application is closed on gen, um, June 1st, and we're having another informational June 14th. Um, the, the actual program is from July 5th to August 5th, uh, so it's going to be great. And then afterwards, we're going to, I'm planning um, something, hopefully it will be very special, but I don't want to say it right now because we haven't got a lot of plans, but we're going to have a great barbecue and somewhere in Boston, and so we'll for and you our, have Jollof rice in the barbecue? Of course, we're going to have Jollof rice. <laughs> The best Nigerian jello fries oh, come by. Oh, Jesus. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, you know, the Academy. Um, now, you're in social media, too. Mm -hmm. So you're in Facebook. So people can go to Facebook. You can go to Facebook. You can go to um, Twitter. You can go to, I'm on, on, on Instagram. Those are my main ones. Um, in fact, no, no, sorry, on YouTube. One of the things that we have, because every good school needs to have like a public, like a newspaper, is the Afro-American TV. So we are in the beginning of it. We hopefully will have some content after the summer because the kids are going to come down to podcasts. Because I always say, close mouth, don't get fed. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to educate you if you ain't going to talk about it. So, so how many kids are we talking about? But, because uh, we're, we're, our target is 30 to 40. Oh, so people have to get in here to get. 
Because you know what, you know, the bottom line is that it's for the kids that can't really, you know, this is underserved kids. We have a lot of brilliant kids out there, super smart kids. I work, you know, I, my day job, I work in the Boston Public School System. I work at Boston Day and Evening Academy. Great shout out to everybody. This is Teachers Appreciations Week. So all it you is. peepers out there, please, you guys are doing a great job. Keep up the great work. Um, you know, but I have found some, some like, you know, in a student, and BDA, if people don't know, is a school for off track students so, so students that have already left the traditional system so these kids are really on the, i mean this is like you know but they're brilliant yeah there you find some brilliant kids even at that level so what are we doing to harbor them what are we doing to nurture them what are we doing with our best and brightest mm -hmm. remember these best and brightest are going to grow up to be our future leaders and they're going to be future entrepreneurs hiring people that maybe they didn't have all the capacity or by luck they weren't able to make um you know you know, maybe make good out of their educational careers. And I'm meeting with a lot of students. I think one of the most important things we do provide at Afro American um, uh, Academy is our um, African diaspora social emotional learning. Now, one thing we do as um, parents of color, we just send our young engineers out there into the world and we say, go wing it. Go get a job from somebody <laughs> yeah, else. Yeah, go get a silver job from somebody. And yeah. the, you know, we know that we're asking them to cross the red line. We know that they're going to be, um, you know, in predominantly white institutions. We also know that the data shows us this. It's not just me talking. This is data. Go check it out. That the higher up you go, but you don't even need to go check it out. This makes sense. The higher up you go as a person of color, especially in engineering or, you know, some kind of science thing, you are... I mean, you're just going to not even see anybody, you know. Before you know it, you're going to be living in Wellesley <laughs> with the picket fence and all that going on. And Becky. And, and you'll be going to spin class. Just spinning. You'll be spinning. There's spinning. nothing wrong with spin class. I'm just saying, but, but, but my brother. I'm, I'm just talking about Becky. Right. Like, Becky. I'm not trying to. Right. Okay. I'm not trying to lose no kings to Becky. I'm right. just saying. That's just but, my but, bias. Hey, hey but, but, but you see this. No, there's actually something that came up because I have three brilliant young ladies Right, that are currently in our program. They came, they're the ones that actually fuel this African diaspora social emotional learning, mm -hmm. which is, like I said, preparing these students to go into these white worlds and still be connected and still have their network and still be empowering and still kicking, mm -hmm. you know what? Yeah. Right? And that's what, you know, so that's what we're trying to develop. We give them virtual jobs that are following them throughout their college careers, not just now, right? Um, we are doing what we need to do to ensure that our leaders are given the network, the community around them to thrive. Mm -hmm. And if they thrive, then we will thrive, you know, eventually. And that's, you know, so that's the kind of work we so do. So what are you looking, I mean, so say you, you said your, your ceiling is like 40 people. Suppose you get 80. Can you build the capacity or are you going to really start screening? Okay. I have a, I have, I'll be housed at Madison Park. Okay. Uh, technical vocational school. If I fill it up, they, they're not going to be mad at me. Let's okay. put it like that. I'm not, I don't know what the parameters are, but we've been given this because we have to prove, you know, we have to, you know, bring out the people. But if we bring out 80, I'm not sure they're going to say, hey, come on now, we need to, uh, you know. So you need teachers, too. Yes. And you need speakers, too, because right. it's, when our kids see an example of what they can do, and it's really personable, they're looking at you as a human being. Right. I know I'm, I'm a teacher, and so sometimes my kids would see me in Stop and Shop or on the bus, and they're like, what are you doing here? It's like, I live here. Like I'm a human. Like I'm a human being. <laughs> I got to eat. I got to shop. What are you talking about? What am I doing here? Like, stop playing, you know? Right. But you do, t I mean, in other societies, they're a lot more appreciative and respectful of teachers, people, educators, and teaching profession. Boston 
in particular has more colleges and universities per square mile than any place else in the world. world. But a lot of students from here want to go someplace else. They don't want to stay here. I'm not understanding. We've got Harvard. We've got MIT. We've got student. We've got Tufts. We've got some BU. We've got so many universities that are consistently in the top 10 globally. But you just want to get out because there's no social life. There's all sorts of other stuff. But, 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 but these, these PWIs, these predominantly white institutions, they're not connected to our community. Right. COVID showed us that. We have some of the best hospitals in the world. In fact, right. the best hospitals in the world That's are right. located not more than four or five miles away That's from right. here. These people, these communities, through neglect, through not understanding the cultural competency, have not trained doctors. I have students today, or even grown-ups today, that have never had a person of color be their doctor. So they don't have a trust in medicine. Shameless plug. Um, the next show, <laughs> seriously, the next Go show ahead. that we have, we're going to three minutes. The next show that um, I actually, my gynecologist is this young black woman who's phenomenal. She and Nigerian? so I've convinced, no, she's not. Okay. And I've convinced her to come here on this show because there's some down, you know, there's just some basic things that women need to know. And hearing it from a black woman who understands the racism that's actually involved in the medical in industry because right. she's had to navigate it, but right. actually getting information to African-Americans, I mean, to the point of where, and most people don't know this, the, the so-called father of gynecology was this white man who was experimenting on, on slave women. Right without their consent, with right. no anesthesia. That's another show, right. but I'm just saying we're going to yeah, have her. But tell me again, because we've got like Five a couple of minutes. Tell me again, why? who should come out and how do they get information about okay. African-American? We need, we need um, just basically multicultural um, students from the Boston area. We need professionals from the Boston area to come in and mentor and talk to our kids for an hour. Tell them about your struggle. Let them see we had a Conan Harris last um, last year. That's, that's, it, well, um, if you like, don't know who that is, yes. that's Ayanna Presley's husband. Yes, yes, we had Ayanna Presley's husband um, um, come in um, and he talked. So just people from the community come in and talk. We, um, we also need sponsors. We have a lot of different, um, um, how would you say, colleges, the cultural nutrition, the African diaspora um, nutrition, the technical, the restorative project management. Uh, we have, you know, financial literacy. You know, um, we're looking for people to sponsor these um, departments because these are their future employees. These are your future um, um, leaders. And your, these are the people that are going to go to your program, your PWI, and actually develop this cultural diversity And the program. other thing is that, oh, we got 30 seconds. The yes. other thing is that when, when kids, when young people, anybody, is invested in their future, they're less apt to be a gangbanger. They're less apt for, to go the criminal way because right. they've got too much to lose. They've got too much to lose. And they can lose. see their future. Yep. And so I can see in our future that I'm going to have to have you come back for another <laughs> show. And I'll be back, of course. And so um, thank you guys so much for being here this evening. Thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. Dr. Solomon, I'm, I'm calling that into existence Amen. now. And thank you so much for being here this evening. I appreciate it. And Lord willing, I see you when I see you. And I'll see you too. Take care of each other and yourself. God bless. Bye-bye. March with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest bigots in the United States Congress. He had the audacity to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun every day. We rise like the sun. We fight till the battle is won. Can you hear the footsteps? Listen, because we're coming like a gang on the street. So you better start running. It's time for some action now. Historical progression. Generations march in succession through 400 years. Hate, blood, sweat, and tears. 
The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass. 02119, attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.